calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. What Will Be Here, Episode 4, Nominal Miko. Content warnings for this episode include swearing, mentions of police, discussion of death, and discussion of kidnapping. See the show notes for more details and a link to the transcript. great day. There was a raid here in the underground, and, uh, it was bad. A big police team stormed in and started turning everything upside down. We're not really supposed to be down here, so they have the right to basically do whatever they want. We managed to get ourselves out of there before they got to our section of the underground. They didn't get past our locks, thankfully. I guess we managed to make them look official enough, even though they were mechanical locks. A Property of Savannah sticker on the front door probably helped with that. I should borrow some more from Mom in case this happens again. Maybe it would spare some other people's spaces. I just don't understand why they do this! What's the point in harassing all of these people? They're not doing anything wrong! I mean... The officer said something about looking for stolen goods, and we can only figure Savannah is missing something they want back. But it 
doesn't seem like the police were really looking for anything. They were just causing havoc. I don't think anyone even stole anything. Sure, we shouldn't be down here. But we're not bothering anyone! A lot of people are missing now. We think they were probably arrested, taken gout knows where to be charged with... trespassing, probably. We all know we're not supposed to be down here. But it's easy to forget the risk. It's easy to forget the consequences. According to Shuri, the last raid around here was years ago, and everyone's gotten a little too comfortable. I just... I had finally found a real community to be part of. A place I felt comfortable in. And... I feel like that was taken from me. No matter how much my parents go on about the Savannah family, I never really got to be myself around them and their co-workers. Too many expectations, too much watching my every move. But down here, I could be me. Not Julia with the weird hobbies we don't talk about, but Jules doing something really cool that we want to help with. Sherry had even introduced me to a few of her friends down here while we were running errands. Cadence, who used to work at a factory, but now takes care of three grandkids. Ty, who makes deliveries in the black market and can run faster than anyone I've ever seen. Diego who can hack any electronic device they get their hands on. I met Diego with Dane, actually, when he was trying to take apart a drone. He set off the alarm system and couldn't get it to stop, and that's where Diego came in. I would bring them all snacks sometimes, just to be a good neighbor. Diego especially liked my homemade banana bread. But now Shuri won't talk to me. And Danes locked himself in his office. And... And Diego isn't here anymore. We're behind schedule. But I, I... I don't even care. We're missing some of the materials we were storing outside the workshop, and we've lost a lot of time. But I'm not even worried about that. I'm worried about my friends. Everyone's hurting. Some more than others. I've never seen Dane look so... empty. Maybe I should go check on him. I'm gonna go check on him. We've been through worse. Fuck, who am I kidding? Yeah, we've been through worse, but that doesn't make this time any easier to deal with. Diego's likely never coming back. Probably got shipped off to former Ohio or something. Dane isn't taking it so well. I think it's been seven years now since the last time the two of us were directly hit by a raid. 
sure they're happening every six to eight weeks somewhere or other around here. But usually it's over at the shipping yards, or specifically targeted at one person. Sometimes you just have to cram everyone into the closet with a plasma rifle in case they do come looking for you. And you try to make their job difficult without getting caught. A can of paint here, some wheel blocks there. Of course, even if they catch you looking at them the wrong way, they'll take you in for interfering with policy officials, whatever that means. I should talk to Dane. I know him and Diego used to be pretty close. Dane? Dane. I'm so sorry, Dane. These things hurt all of us. It's been a while since one of these hit so close to home, but they always ripple out. When Lauren's shop got raided after Savannah decided to reappropriate anything with a BTC core because some data scientist in Scotland found a way to look at, not in, just at their internal databases with them, we couldn't get the event furniture for a show opening. Tiffany had to spend two weeks deep cleaning their entire salon when that genetic experiment ran through, and everyone knows that one saint will sue you into the ground if they even think you have any of their genes. That, of course, meant that skis couldn't sanitize their kitchen, which could have gotten them shut down if a health inspector had come through. Not that that ever seems to happen down here. We're a family in the underground. Even if Savannah doesn't want to recognize that. Even if they think Dane is a ward of the barely existent state. He's my brother. And they can't take that away from us no matter how hard they try. We've been through worse raids before. I mean, yeah, I'm gonna have to find a way to get all that gold plating replaced. But between Jules and I, I'm sure we can figure something out. We've got this. <laughs> I say that, but do we really? I mean, yeah, we can always get more fucking gold. Gout knows there's enough of it now that a hole the size of a small country exists because someone decided to strip every mineral imaginable out of it. But what about us? What about the connections they mine each and every day? Every friendship they exploit, every date they monitor and set up, every therapist reporting potential client losses for Savannah, every camera monitoring your facial cues, each and every gadget collecting who knows how much data about you. I don't know how much more we can take. I mean, we've got our little community here. We've got the underground beyond that. But if Savannah just sort of picks us off slowly for wanting a little bit of freedom, how much time do we really have? How much time did we really have left for us, space aliens? On a remote island in frigid Lake Superior, a fabricated creature birthed from the mind of a disturbed genius stalks the very people who created it. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler is a classic tale of science gone horribly wrong. Available wherever you get your podcasts.
I like to think of myself as a people person, both in and out of the job. In a world like this, you don't get very far if you're not. Connections go a long way. People make the world go round, and, and when they're gone, everything comes to a screeching halt. I'm in my garage for once, which is a shocking turn of events for everyone, I'm sure. K above ground. It happens. Thing is, I don't even have the heart to do any work right now. No matter how many texts I get from the Kaylees and Chads of the world asking me when it's okay to swing by so I can juice their ride, it just, it doesn't feel right. Not after what happened. I had people down there. Friends, business associates, connections I could never quite replace. And while the underground is ringing with their absence, I'm up here, sitting on my workbench thinking of the past and how things were with them around and how they probably won't be like that again. There was Tank, with that stupid little bobblehead she used to carry around for luck. And JC, who would always try to dump his scraps on me. I mean, the crap would be so run down that even I wouldn't use them. <laughs> You're a mechanic, so get creative, he'd always say. Then he'd laugh and actually give me the good stuff. I wanted to smack him upside the head every time he said that. And then there was Jupes, with all the daddy issues who never seemed to quite understand that I'm not that kind of psychologist. <laughs> The JC's shop was trashed when I ran by it. And I found Tank's bubblehead broken on the ground. And I know Jupes won't knock on my door anymore. I went back for the bubblehead. And so I could go back for. I mean, sure, I have people up here too, but it's just, it's not the same. We don't have the same bond. We, we can't. Not, not with Savannah's eyes everywhere. Even now, in the comfort of my home, away from home, I'm like 75% sure there's some sort of bug or drone sweeping by to protect and serve the public. And you're never really alone up here. <sighs> but I suppose we can't be alone forever now, can we? While I personally have no problem being by myself and not feeling lonely, there are some people who do not work like that. I may be good around people, but others need people around them to be good. Like Dane. Or, more specifically, <laughs> Dane around Jules. Yeah, I've curled around the vents. I've heard the whispers, I've seen how they look at each other. They make a cute couple. They need someone... Sunny to balance his apathy. Someone to show him that, yes, some of the world can be lollipops and rainbows. And maybe not all of it, but yes, some. And Jules, bless her little heart, is learning a lot of not-so-nice things in a really rough way 
The rest of us knew what to do in the raid, but she, for the first minute and a half, she was just stuck in one place, standing there like a statue as everyone scrambled to lock up. But, but Dane can help her adapt. He was the one that got her unstuck and the first to tell her what to do. He was there for her when she needed someone. There's a big softy underneath there, I just know it. <laughs> As for me, I, um, I think I'll call it a night. Normally on my days off, I tinker or work on those blueprints for a laser cannon I want to run by Jules. I think old good rockets need a laser cannon. But not tonight. Yeah. I don't have the heart to be the mad scientist right now. I just want to sleep. <sighs> Come on, lucky bubblehead. I'm going to do something a little different this time. I'm in charge of relaying other people's stories and thoughts, I know. But it's the day after a tragedy. One that is so distinctly ours. Thus, it feels appropriate that I'm going to give you one of my stories today. But mythos always helps me contextualise what I want to say, so I'll begin with a tale that doesn't belong to me. The Shinto story of Izanagi and Izanami comes to mind. While giving birth to the last of her and Izanagi's children, the primordial goddess Izanami died. It was the first death in the world, and her husband was so overcome with grief that he travelled to Yomi, the land of the dead, to get her back. Izanami couldn't leave Yomi as she had already eaten the food there. Even so, she went to ask the other gods for permission to go back to the living realm with her husband. In the meantime, Izanagi grew impatient with waiting for his wife to return, and entered the Mansion of the Dead to look for her, despite the fact that she'd explicitly told him not to. Then he found her. He shined his torch upon her and realised that his once beautiful wife was now a rotting corpse, infested with maggots and demons. When he saw what she'd become, he ran away. And she chased him all the way to the edge of the underworld, only for her true love to trap her there forever. Izanagi went through so much to get his wife back, only to leave her behind in the end. Because she wasn't the same. Because if she wasn't exactly the woman that he had lost, then he didn't want her at all. So, wouldn't it have been better if Izanagi had just grieved and let her go in the first place? Yes, he did it out of love, but wanting someone to return from the dead is solely for the sake of the living. Maybe people die and they don't want to come back. It's not like the hero ever asks the dead person first before they try to break the laws of nature. Izanami probably missed her husband, sure. But here she was, well-fed, living in a mansion, making herself at home. Maybe she would have been at peace if Izanagi had just let her be. But no, now, instead, 
She ends her story as a furious, bug-infested carcass. Izanagi's last memory of her is as a husk. My teta told me that's what happened to her father. Before he was taken, my great-grandfather loved gardening. It's a really tough task down here, since there's so little access to sunlight. But he'd found a sunspot and plants that could grow well, despite the conditions. The raid happened when he was in the garden, around noon. Teta says they knew he was gone, because normally they would hear his keys clanging against his watering can on the way home. But that afternoon, after so many lives were lost, the entire underground was silent. They were mourning, dreading, and waiting for the jingling of keys colliding with a watering can, still half full. We didn't see him again for eight months. Teta told me that she had just finished tucking me in for a nap when she heard it. Keys. And there he was. My great-grandfather came back from the dead at 1pm on a Tuesday. A semblance of him, at least. The physical differences were obvious. He looked... aged. He was missing patches of hair and some teeth. And he had a pronounced limp. But he'd survived Savannah. It was to be expected that he was a little different. Everyone else was too busy being grateful that he had come back at all to notice the... other things. Teta felt that great-grandpa didn't... know them anymore. She said that he remembered names, but he couldn't always put them to the right faces. Like, he would mix up my Teta and her sisters for the first two weeks when he came back. He would call my dad by his own son's names, as though he was running down a list in his mind until he got to the right one. He got lost really often, because he couldn't recall where places were, even though he'd lived his entire life in the underground. The rest of the family brushed it off, chalked it up to the trauma of whatever horrible thing Savannah must have done to him. That is, until he started asking questions. Questions about where the underground's primary food and energy sources were, how often we gathered in large groups, what the general opinion of Savannah was among underground locals, among our own family, things that should have been common knowledge for him, and that only a complete stranger wouldn't know. That was when it dawned on them. Just as the light had shone on his enemy, it now shone on my great-grandfather. The man they had once loved was infested. With what, exactly? Nobody knows. Not even all these years later. So we started pushing him away. We held him at arm's length and never did anything too incriminating in front of him. A sort of gentle ostracism. In short, my great-grandpa came back from the dead, only to die a year later, alone, in a house full of people that were supposed to love him. That's the story I wanted to tell. Because I am certain that someone is out there hoping for a miracle right now. 
and I won't be the one to tell them not to. But I had to tell someone about the lesson my family learned years ago. Sure, there is a slim chance that someone you love might come back from Savannah. But knowing what I know, would you even want them to? This episode was written by Brad Colebrook, Chandler Harrison, Cole Burkhart, D. Reese, and Talmanier, with script editing by Evan Tess Murray. It was directed by Brad Colebrook and sound designed by Cole Burkhart, and features John Y. Kamara as Dane, Jonah Loon as Jules, Sahar Iman as Shuri, Vico Ortiz as Kay, and Kathy Youssef as Armani. The theme music is by Benny James, and the transcript is by Caroline Minx. What Will Be Here is primarily produced in Long Beach, on the stolen land of the Quiche Nation. Discovery, nominal Miko, Ohms 1, not required. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.